This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ouais, ça sort bien. Joué. Il est servi. Le latéral gauche. Un petit angle de centre est bien couvert là par... Bellerin. pour Barclay. Oh, oh, oui. oui. oh oui, il a pas se caché avec le ballon. Oui. Le oh, Et cette fois-ci, il ne sera probablement pas refusé. Et c'est très aigué. Fuck off, fuck off. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Look how simple they scored that goal. Honestly, man. Bellerin, who do you think? Fucking Bellerin. They're all shit. Fucking all of them, Bellerin, fucking holding, all of them. Load of fucking... Look! Getting bullied! Getting bullied! Fuck off! It's fucking people that show around and say that fucking Grealish ain't good enough to for Arsenal. People I was I'm saying I'm Grealish. He ain't good enough for Arsenal. Some people He's are mad. I'm fucking pissing. I said... Greenish fucking greenish fucking greenish ain't good enough for Arsenal. I said that greenish last season. He ain't worth it. He ain't good enough for Arsenal. He's fucking run all over us there. Embarrassing. Fucking embarrassing. Fucking Watkins with Useless team. fucking piles of fucking shit. Fucking Willian, all of them. Fuck off. Bullshit. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, your essential Villa listen during the second lockdown. Joining me to discuss Villa's latest uh, win to continue their 100% record away from home, their 3-0 Mullering of Arsenal. Mr. Dan Rogers from the Villa Underground, welcome back. The elusive Mr. Dan Rogers. Hello, I'm here. It is good to be on the soon-to-be Champions Tour podcast. Mr. Chris Bird, welcome back. Hello, hello. And Mr. Phil Shaw, welcome. Hello. Well, coming up, we will obviously talk about uh, what was I mean, people are saying it's, it was a more complete performance than uh, even the Liverpool game 
when we hammered them 7-2. But we'll get on to that uh, later on. First of all, how are you gentlemen doing in uh, the second lockdown? How's life in Northern Ireland, first of all? It's pretty much we're a couple of weeks ahead of you. So I've got a, a sort of a vision of where you're <laughs> What happens in the future, Phil? What, what happens? Tell us. What happens at Christmas? Uh, everybody argues and goes to each other's houses anyway. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> but I'm, I'm most concerned about, about barbers. What's the hair situation, Phil? Oh, the, yeah. the hair situation isn't great. I mean, if you've seen Pochettino on Sky Sports, I mean, I'm, I'm currently sporting a Pochettino. Luscious. <laughs> Luscious. <laughs> uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, tuning out after Villa took a, another beating, but back again mm. t- for a bit of glory hunting. Well, you know, you should come to expect it from the Villa underground that I have to go. I do have to go into my bunker when we lose to Southampton. Ah. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to say something smutty. That's what he's trying to do. Uh, I, I, well, I'll, I'll leave that to to uh, to the Guardian columnist, but we'll get to that in a bit. And uh, but everything okay for you? I think not we mentioned too bad. last time. I finally got my audio interface back yeah, on Friday after four weeks of not being able to make music. So it's game on. And just to make, be clear for new listeners, he's not like Stephen Hawking. He doesn't need that <laughs> so he can communicate to the outside world. It's, it's... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, Before we uh, crack on with the show, you know, on uh, TV news programs, they have uh, tomorrow's uh, newspapers today. We thought we would, I think one of, who noticed this, by the way? Who was it? This was Phil. Yeah, Phil noticed, uh, I think he read the Guardian's uh, match report of uh, the Villa-Arsenal game. I think you flagged this up in Match Club, didn't you? So we thought we'll just go back just to, uh, as a little, uh, we used to do a Villa week in a a Villa minute. So Chris can uh, read out some of the highlights of this Guardian. In, uh, review. Who, who was it by? Uh, Jonathan Liu. Oh yeah, Jonathan Liu. I think I sat next to him uh, during the Football Supporters Association Awards uh, one year. Nice guy, actually. But anyway, uh, here's some of the uh, the snippets of his uh, match report. For a while, it felt like Aston Villa might have to settle in for a long and painful rearguard, at which point mm-hmm. they seemed to come to a crucial realisation. They were better than Arsenal. And so, in a rampant, crushing climax, Ooh. they set mm-hmm. about proving Oof. it. Oof, carry on, Chris. Carry on, carry on, carry on. As Jack Grealish and Ross Barkley began to run the game on strings, as Ollie Watkins picked off the two goals that would turn victory into a rout, Arsenal were stripped bare again and again. Beaten, not just on tactics and technique. Beat me. But on application. Mm, Villa won their duels and won their second balls, leaving Arsenal Mm. choking in the dust. Again, it sprang from Grealish and Barkley, teasing the ball between themselves Mm, on the left wing. Mm, mm, Unrushed and unconfronted, waiting for an opening to emerge. Slide it in. On the touchline, you could sense Arteta's sap beginning to rise. Enough. Well, we can't, we can't enough. I'll see you that. guys in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we're done. We're done. Absolute smut. Did he have Pornhub open it's on his laptop? It's 50 shades of Grealish. This? It is, isn't 50 it? 50 shades of Grealish. Jonathan, you're so smutty. Never knew the Guardian was top shelf. It's a tsunami of filth. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Dean Smith's revolution is creating. It needs to be censored. This is the epitome of sexy football, isn't it? 
Anyway, moving on with the show. Coming up, we will get into the villain news and what's happening as an international break once more emerges, including Aston Villa's ladies' first win. Three points, another look at uh, familiar topics. Uh, Pay-per-view, there's been an advancement on that. Marcus Rashford's uh, showing you what you can do as a footballer when you have such a platform. And also, uh, oh, the handball rule might be... uh, getting a reconsideration i think it's just had one didn't it at the start of the season and then we'll get into the main topic that's uh, sexy football the 3-0 win that rose arteta's sap and then we will finish off the show with a little uh, underrated or overrated with mr darius vassell right let's get into uh, the villain news First up, uh, it's the start of the international week, which now is, it's basically now just a time for Villa fans to go mad at Gareth Southgate on social <laughs> media, essentially. That's what it's boiled down to into the international break. Do you think Grealish will get a run? I think it's, we've, we play three games, don't we? So it'll, it'll definitely get a start uh, yeah, in will. one of them, I'd imagine. He'll get a game in the, the middle one, the friendly, playing Ireland in the middle one, my near neighbours. Grealish will get a run out against Ireland, won't he? Just, for, just to say to Ireland, this is what you could have had. Just for giggles, <laughs> really. Uh, I think the man who's got the most uh, at stake is probably John McGinn, who, uh, I mean, he's basically, we're paying his wages now to play for Scotland, aren't we? Because... Uh, He's never 100% fresh for Villa once he's come back from three games in two weeks with the Scots. Well, he plays every minute of every game as well, doesn't he? And, you know, they're always kind of chasing. It's it's not easy work playing for Scotland as well, the way they have to set up. So it is pretty exerting on him. Horahan's playing dead rubber stuff. I mean, it'd be a thrill for him to play against England. But, you know, fortunately, when I say thrill, there's none of these games really are experiences if there's no crowd there, really. It's... Uh, a bit of a strange one how you would memorize it's like wow well, i remember playing for ireland versus england you know what a what a great occasion it's like well it's never empty stadium it's a bit strange uh meanwhile uh douglas louise will uh be off he's in brazil or in world cup qualifiers at the moment are they not yes yeah yeah they are and he's got a couple of tough games um even though brazil are top of the group and you would say cruising um, first games against venezuela if he gets on and they're sort of the up-and-coming south american nation yeah. and then a real sort of blood and thunder against Uruguay. All right, yeah, always uh, always good for the blood and thunder. He likes to take tackle in the midfield, so he'll be right up for that one. And then Emmy, Emmy Martinez could make his debut for Argentina in one of their games. Any other international teams with much to play for? Yeah. I mean, what do, you, what do you mean? Why didn't, why didn't you lead, <laughs> lead with Northern Ireland? I mean, we've, we, we, have, we not only have a qualifier, we have a qualifier with a crowd in the ground. And Stephen only Davis this, Stephen Davis that. <laughs> ma, ma, yeah. Ma, ma. yeah, so we're, we're letting fans in and How ignoring all COVID. Oh, no, you're in the future. Sorry, I forgot you were in the yeah, future. Yeah, we're in the future, you? yeah. So ignoring all COVID restrictions, the, the club, Linfield, that own the National Stadium, We'll get into that maybe some other time. Um, they've got a, a hold of a few tickets and they've decided to run a competition for them, completely ignoring all COVID rules. <laughs> the future it sounds is, a bit is, Willy Wonka, to be honest. You've, you clearly haven't been here in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I have, and that sounds perfectly normal to me. <laughs> all right, well, good luck. Uh, sorry, who's Northern Ireland playing in the in their We're playing Slovakia, who sacked their manager after qualifying the playoffs. Ooh. Uh, I'll put this to uh, Dan and Chris very quickly. Who's most likely to uh, get through their qualifier, Scotland or Northern Ireland? Scotland versus Serbia, Northern Ireland versus Slovakia. I'd say Northern Ireland, probably. I would too. The, the Scots are a one-man team for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd throw that out there. <sighs> I'd say they're a can two-man I, I, team, but two men a team doth, doth not make. Can, can I say Scotland? 
<laughs> Didn't ask Hang you. On, what do you know? <laughs> You're in the future, after all. <laughs> right, moving on. Uh, Villa's ladies came back from their COVID isolation to chalk up their first win and first points when they won 2-0 away to Brighton, which uh, I think that puts them 10th now. Uh, the way the league's structured, there's 12 teams in the league, one relegation spot, which is currently filled by Bristol City's women, and then it's Spurs, then Villa. Villa w- women have played a couple of games less than most teams, and up next is the uh, the local derby against uh, Birmingham City. So uh, signs of progress there. Well, looking at the league table, that win could be enough to keep them up because I'm looking at the goal difference for Bristol <laughs> yeah. City. Yeah. Minus 26. Yeah, it did catch after, my after, eye as well. After five games. Yeah, I think that is that's probably Super League status secured for another season, actually, that win. <laughs> well done. Meanwhile, a new addition to Villa's backroom team, Nick Haycott, who uh, has... I think he's been in coaching for about 25 years, but he's recently been working at uh, the Premier League and he'll join Villa as like the head of technical and player development. So um, I think we're talking more, uh, that's like under 23s, under 18s, etc. If if I'm not uh, mistaken. And he's worked uh, since he left West Ham, where he was, he was there for a while at West Ham, uh, like a decade. He uh, was at the Premier League as a club support manager. So he's kind of getting back on the front line. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, uh, always on social media, oh, exciting times for the uh, under-23s and youth team. But, you know, let's see what happens first. Putting a team together at the moment, so hopefully it's all going in the right direction. But we'll see uh, at the end of this season anyway. Right, let's move on to the three points. Uh, First point, pay-per-view. This hasn't actually been decided yet, but it was kind of leaked out of uh, the Premier League's meeting before the international. Mo- this was a meeting more to uh, get a few views across, uh, so that could be passed on to the broadcasters, and then they'll meet again the Premier League stakeholders, which is essentially the uh, CEOs of the twenty teams, and uh, then they'll discuss what to do. But it looks like the fourteen ninety five embarrassment price point is out the window, so nothing's off the table from what I understand. But it doesn't mean that this pay-per-view is scrapped. It could be reduced in price. Or we could have the situation, uh, and you know, after meeting Christian Persley last week, as I said in the last podcast, uh, I don't think they're not being any, you know, that they're not screening the, these games. is actually not off the table at the moment. So uh, make sure you kick up a fuss in terms of wanting to see these games. Because at the end of the day, broadcasters and clubs just want to defend their uh, the broadcasting rights deals that they have and you know that essentially that is the only reason we're playing elite football at this moment just to fulfill those contracts anything to add what what do you think should happen i think it it will lead ultimately towards the premier league moving on to a streaming model like a netflix or an amazon mm. prime or something like that that seems the the logical way i remember hearing simon jordan talking about it and in terms of a global audience it would but mean not, the premier but league not in make, the short term no but premier league would make Make far more money. Five pound a game, maybe. You know, supposedly the numbers of people who are actually paying to watch these streams are minuscule. Is it actually going to stop that many people accessing it on online streams anyway? I doubt it. If people can actually access a high-quality free stream, they might be much more likely to do it, especially for the games that aren't meant to be televised. Hmm. I mean, the only thing you need to do to dis- to you know discourage piracy is keep pumping Michael Owen's voice, Stephen Manaman's voice, Richard Keyes' face through through the over- overseas channel piracy <laughs> yeah. that seems to be prevalent. <laughs> it's enough to make me want to pay fifteen quid. But I don't I don't understand why they haven't you know as a whole industry it hasn't pivoted towards that Netflix model already that 
that they've missed a huge a huge trick in they've, and I think it goes back to some of the the points that were made when they first came out with this that they've completely misjudged the tone of the times yeah agreed the, the, the fact that 15 quid is just it's just bonkers and it's not about getting a product for free people football fans have been paying through the nose for years in person for everything to watch football like, for everything for like, like every tickets, element stream you know Strip shirts are outrageous now. Yeah. That went berserk um, in the 90s and just kept going up and up and up. But I, I think as well that, you, that the Premier League needs to needs to get its head around the fact that, that going forward, streaming is the way for most industries, but also that we could be out of stadiums at least till March, you know, probably till the end of the season. March is the bottom line they're, they're looking at at the mm. moment. That's what the government have advised the, the Premier League. You know, if, if they do, let's say, continue with it with a different price, I think they've missed the uh, boat in terms of £10. If that's if they started off with £10, people would have shrugged and said, yeah, all right, but now it's just it's just an insult. £5, I think you might get people off, uh, let's say, pirating streams. Well, they've hemorrhaged goodwill, but I'm surprised they haven't come out with a model, you know, either a, a, I don't know, eat as much if you like football model that's, I don't know, a high price point, if you like, where you can watch anything or a, or a club by club model where you only see the games for your team, you know, that could be pitched at, yeah. a, at a lower. I'm surprised they haven't worked that out yet. No, I, th- I don't think anything's off the table, but, you know, that, there is that possibility of having, uh, as you say, like you pay for a, a pass for the month, like a season ticket and that gets mm. you you can watch it on bt or sky or whoever is actually screening that game anyway let's uh, let's move on to point number two mr marcus rashford has caused a, a second government u-turn after the, his idea of uh, schools holiday support was rejected but uh, after the game against everton uh, he got a phone call from old boris uh, saying that they'd managed to uh, put together a package are they spending about 400 million to support uh, children and their families in england yeah, it's a remarkable turnaround, really, and and again, just similar to the other point that it it shows you that how out of touch and how out of sync with the tone of the times the government were, until finally they've actually looked at it and they've they've made a huge um, half a billion pound commitment to to funding uh, meals for poverty stricken families, really, and and, and their children. Um, is that, sorry, is that, was that the 400 f- figure I just mentioned? Is that the first initiative he did? Because I think the package of support is like they've got a 170 million ring fenced fund to de- be distributed through councils. Yeah, so I think that, that the way that works is that there, there was the government was standing behind, there was money through universal credit and through other. Uh, yeah. Local government grants from central government to to pay for f- for food before, but of course, with what's been going on, councils have have used that money for for well, the crisis that we find ourselves in. And what this does is it puts 170 million pounds exclusively for for help with food bills and the essentials, really for as I say, the, the most vulnerable in our communities. And isn't there a like a 16 million? Boost or let's say ring fenced amount for food banks as well. Yes, sixteen million just just for food banks, which is is remarkable, really. I mean, there's a big local element for us that you know Birmingham's got over forty forty one percent of of children in the highest poverty rates. Uh, it's just remarkable, really. That's outside of London this year. It says a lot. I mean, some of the constituencies of Birmingham are amongst the most uh, underprivileged and 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 poor in the country. So that that money's really important politically. That just shows what can happen. When people have ideas and are constructive with it, rather than just this binary bickering Absolutely. of left and right, blue and red, and it doesn't get anywhere. I mean, you know, the government is the government. You've just got to convince them to uh, there's a better way, and at least you know they've proven, in, certainly in Marcus Rashford's case, to uh, have been listening. But he's been smart as well. Well, the, the response from you know at local level across the country really has been you know phenomenal. 
and you look at some of the the work that football teams, which ultimately are you know real pillars of their community, have done, and the fan bases of those clubs, and people have really kind of mucked in. I, I I always think it's one of those things that when it comes to charity, anything involving you know children going hungry is going to go straight to the top of the pile. You know, certainly morally, you know, in, in a Western developed country, no child should be going hungry. So the the fact that a, a footballer can use his platform for good. And bring about a, a really positive change quite quickly in the grand scheme of things, considering yeah. how long it normally takes government to act upon things. It's you know you take your hat off to Rashford, and actually I think it's a shame for him in a way that the fans aren't in the stadiums because I think every single away stadium he walks into, he will get an amazing response. Point number three, just quickly, UEFA president Alexander Seferin has asked FIFA to change the handball rule, saying the current interpretation has led to unfair decisions, which has caused growing frustration and discomfort in the sport same could be said about the offside rule as well I would say Mm. I'm sure Patrick Bamford would agree with that yes football can be improved but you'd think they'd have improved it by now in terms of you know getting the handball rule right getting the offside rule right fundamentals you would say VAR you know doesn't even need to enter the conversation at this stage but it's just getting those basic rules right the thing uh, that VAR does on the offside is make it sacrosanct and there's, you know, there's no grey areas. I think I said in Match Club, it's like, you know, the highway code for driving. There's so many different permutations as a driver, different signs, different types of roads. And by reading the highway code, you pretty much, you know what you should be doing in every situation. So why is it not in the, you know, the referee's guidelines that if, if a player is level and they call for the ball and when the hand goes up that is the only thing offside but actually all their body is in line with the you know the last defender then that shouldn't be considered offside i mean they should go through every potential permutation before they carve it in stone as the rules and even though it's patrick bamford you know a lot of people would uh, if that was grealish or barkley in that position you'd be going what the fuck's going on he's just put his hand out to call for the ball you know he is onside i did meet mike riley on a zoom call and i kind of understand why it's in such a flaky situation at the moment but i'm not going to say any more about that (laughs) (laughs) we just seem to find ourselves now with football where I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I used to understand the rules. <laughs> now I'm not confident necessarily yeah. with all of the rules. And I think if that's the case, as someone who probably you know consumes quite a lot of football, what, what chance does anyone stand? I think when they start messing around with things around like the handball rule, I think we've seen it with, with offside. It seems to change in season as well, which I've always yeah. thought was a bit strange because... You know, the competition's running, it's live, um, if not domestically, internationally. There used to be the, the kind of chauvinistic and condescending viewpoint that women did not know the offside rule. And, you know, this is like, became a cliche. The fact of the matter is nobody knows the offside rule. <laughs> Handball rule. We're all equal now. Equality has come finally it's because, in the game. But, that, <laughs> but the point is, you, you, it's actually impossible to explain it. What was, in principle, a very, very straightforward rule that once you'd learned yeah. it, you can apply the law to the you know law of the game. As now, oh, it's too many cooks, isn't it? That you only have to only have to see the word FIFA on our match plan, and I, I it, a cold shudder came across me. Um, <laughs> just wondering how many how many watches that this gentleman's inherited and has stacked away in a 
in a back room. He did say, there is plenty of evidence that defenders are nowadays forced to assume unnatural positions, simply to avoid the risk to see their hand arm accidentally hit by the ball and concede a penalty kick. Yeah, we did talk talk about this with Mike Riley. And uh, was it the, the Dyer one, Eric Dyer, where he jumps up back to the ball? He didn't see the ball. He puts yeah. his arm on to, to kind of get that leverage so he, he can jump. He headed onto his arm and he's facing the other way. Was that that one? Yeah, exactly. And Mike Riley, he said, yeah, but the arm was in an unnatural position and said yeah but it was natural because you put your arm up to get that leverage to jump and he, he couldn't answer that he just gave some flaky pretend smile and said the only mutterance of an excuse was well you know var like a referee you know five years in his job a referee will get be a better referee so that is you know the same principle with var you know after five years it would be better That's than clearly it is now. Not true. It's, like, <laughs> it's like no 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 it's not nothing to do with var var is var but it's the referees making the decision these referees have been in their job a long long time these rules seem to change all the time. And and you're actually wrong there. You've you've overlooked the fact that you actually need to put your arm up to jump. Anyway, we could uh, go on further about this, but uh, it's just wishy-washy people in power, in power to make these rules. And uh, I don't know what, what the decision is to, you know, get more of a committee that uh, overlook these things before they're passed that actually includes players and managers perhaps that is a way forward if it doesn't happen already they just need to disband some of these stupid committees where people are constantly looking at constantly looking at changing the rules i mean i think that there needs to be you know if it ain't broke if it ain't broke don't fix it a bit of approach really that i'm you know VAR is a big thing that we could discuss all day long and I think that that's a good example of, of a good idea badly implemented I think the handball yeah. rule how can that not be clear if it hits your hand and you've used and you've deliberately tried to seek advantage by doing it that that's it yeah right <laughs> moving on uh, first of all thank you very much to the uh, my old man said patrons especially the ones that joined us in match club for the Arsenal game which I think is probably one of my favorite uh, match clubs because it was such a, a great performance brilliant turnout so. for starters a good turnout and uh, a lot of laughs as well, a few anecdotes. It's almost like this podcast, but with uh, a lot, lot more people contributing. Thank you very much for joining us in that. And uh, please do, uh, we're going to get some extra podcasts out, by the way, for patrons during this uh, lockdown international break. But uh, to get access to those extra shows and also uh, to join us in Match Club for the next game, which uh, at the moment is Brighton, unless they they start to change it, please do go to myonmansaid.com and click on the patron link for more information there also thank you very much for the uh, the latest people to actually become patrons uh, luke whitehead and also uh thank you very much to ian barnhurst and peda briga to signing up as annual uh, My Own Manson patrons where you actually get two months for free. So if you want to go for the long haul, please do uh, sign up there. It's 15% off. Unfortunately, I spotted Dan Rogers' contributions uh, this time. So you've missed out There's on... no uh, evidence whatsoever to support <laughs> that statement. Well, are these real <laughs> Absolutely people? Not. Jack Strap, is that Nothing a real person? Nothing to do with me. Amanda Mount? Nope. As I said, David, this, this, this podcast is a team effort. We all chipped in. <laughs> Yeah, Mo Lester. Who who whose was that? <laughs> Jenna, Jenna Tolls. Have <laughs> I missed anybody? At Clee Torres. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Fernando's sister. Never seen them on the patrons list before. Because the, the, the childish people I have to work with on this, it's it's just dumbfounding. <laughs> right, let's move on to uh, 
I've been apprehensive to talk about Villa's 100% away record because we'd only played two games. But uh, now we join Spurs, Leicester, Manchester United, and we are now the fourth team with 100% away records. Oh. And we're impenetrable. <laughs> and we are the only team has not oh, don't start conceded. Impenetrable. Don't start on the innuendos as well, Chris. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> we're the only team not to concede an away goal as well, which uh, that's pretty astounding when you consider last oh. season. Oh, Jesus Christ, what's going on? Look at who we've played. You know, we've gone to Leicester where we got battered wow. last year. We went to Arsenal where we got you know, we threw the game away against 10 men. So what's that? That's seven goals already we conceded in the same fixtures. Wow. Who was the other away game? Uh, Fulham. Fulham. They Our record there in the championship was woeful. Yeah, they would normally put two or three pastors. So uh, we're a good ooh, nine goals, I think, we conceded in the last time we'd been at, at those grounds. Massive yep. improvement. And, that, and the Arsenal game, just it was almost, the way it panned out, it was almost built for how we have been playing defensively in terms of our organisation and, and setup. which I think we kind of lost that against Southampton Leeds because we thought, right, you know, we should be forcing the issue here at Villa Park and we fancy ourselves against these teams and you know we've got Barkley in there and you know we could probably have them in a straight up firefight and that's where our midfield kind of got lost in those last two games but here Arsenal are the favourites we're just thinking well we've beaten them the last two times we've played them and you know including the friendly so we just keep it tight go back to plan A in terms of the defensive makeup and see how it pans out but First clue was in the first minute, was it not? When I think John McGinn's goal, even though it was chalked off, just the way he struck it was that was basically symbolised our performance for the next ninety minutes. Well, we've been waiting a long. We've been we have been waiting a long time to see McGinn put his laces through one around the penalty area. We haven't seen him seen, you know, seen him do much of it this season and the end of last season. Really, when it landed to him, he absolutely fucking rifled it, didn't he? Like no keeper in the world is saving that. And it'd still be rising now. I mean, the net was the only thing that stopped it going out of orbit. But in terms of the actual decision now this is kind of an interesting one because I think you looked at, as soon as I saw the replay of that I thought yeah he's not he's not going to give that because Barkley is interfering with play so to speak There's and, a he is in, and he is in the uh, the eye line of the keeper and but then you'd hear pundits saying, "Yeah, but there's no way you'd have saved that." So but it's like, "Yeah, that's not the point, though, is it?" I, I might be in the minority, but I think I, I would agree it should have been disallowed because even though there's no chance any keeper in the world is going to save that at the point that he strikes the ball, the goalkeeper can't see the ball because of Barkley. McGinn could have easily put that in the other corner, which maybe the keeper would have saved. So that would be my yeah. thinking on it. So if, if it was at the other end and Arsenal had done that, we would be crying for it to be called off. So yeah, I think we would say he's in the eye line, isn't he? Yeah, I mean it's it's very easy now when you've come away with a three nil win to go. Yeah, that was you know, fine. We'll take that one. It was the right decision. It's a real shame. It's 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 more of a frustrating one because I think most people will see it and go, yeah, it's probably the right decision, even though it's it's just an annoying one more than anything. I mean, it's I think it's a split moment where you think, well, Barkley could have made out. He's more getting out of the way, if you know what I mean. He could he could have like run to the to his uh, left a bit or more convincingly. Or dived out of the way, yeah. That was the only way I could see that being allowed. If Either way, he was offside though, wasn't he? Yeah. Moments like that, there's there's two ways you can go. You, you can actually take that on board as a, right, this is a sign of intent. This is what we're going to be doing the rest of this game. 
Or you can go, oh, fuck, we're unlucky, and then just fold. Just say, oh, we, it's, it's not going to be our day today, is it? But Villa didn't think about anything negatively. They they basically bossed that whole game, pretty much. Interestingly, at half time, the statistics showed that we hadn't actually had a shot on target, yet we'd actually scored two goals. I mean, one of them disallowed, and then the other one given as a as an OG. But the, the first goal was hilarious, was it not? It's a brilliant move. I mean, it's... It almost happened in slow-mo, didn't it, at times? It was kind of strange. We, we kept the ball brilliantly sort of in their corner, you know, the interplay between sort of Barkley, Grealish and Target, who, you know, cats off to the guy. We haven't seen a lot of him going forward this season at times, but when it came down to it, he actually got into position, delivered a great ball, and you know we, we're deserving of the break. Because I think if it doesn't come off Saka and go in, Trezeguet scores anyway. But I'm referring more to uh, Barkley and Grealish pissing around. Yeah, well, they just they slowed the game down, didn't they? It went like half speed for a minute and then... Just as I was thinking, what the... What, you know, what are you You've doing? You've lost all your momentum now. You've lost all your momentum. They're all set up. You know, what are you doing? Barkley, what are you doing over there shadowing him? You should be like a bit more central, giving more of an option. That's when Target was that extra... He basically created the opening with that run he did that Barkley uh, spotted. Yeah. And away it went. What I didn't understand about that goal was watching it play out, you could you could absolutely read what Barkley and Grealish were doing. And I'm not saying it wasn't a w- wonderfully well-worked move in the end. Yeah. It was quite how bad the Arsenal defending was, as as bad as you will see. Um, and the most surprised person in the world is, is Target, who for a large part of it is a spectator and suddenly finds himself in acres <laughs> yeah. of space. Able and it's a fine cross across the uh, front of the goal, and, and ultimately proves to be an own goal. But the pace at which there must be a fifteen-second interlude where the ball the ball can't move more than six or seven yards between Grealish and, and Barkley backwards and forwards, back heeling and Harlem Globetrotters. It's a great thing to watch back, as in the re, you know the replays now, because at the time you think what they're doing, but now it's just like you know they're taking the piss basically. Yeah, I think someone described it as foreplay on Twitter, which yeah, I quite yeah. <laughs> which tra- traditionally. <laughs> Traditionally, it's the kind of goal Arsenal would have scored against you under Wenger. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for reminding us, Chris. Thank, yeah, thanks for that, Chris. And yeah, it, yeah. The, the weird thing about it was that... that <laughs> <laughs> he's busy shaving himself. Um, the uh, <laughs> Manscaping. Yeah, you, you, you keep that to yourself. It's a family show, this. Um, Is the, it the, fuck? The, the, <laughs> and there that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But the, the second, that, that first half was was weird because the, Arsenal had two great chances after we scored as well. That There's the one where um, there's the cutback and Martinez manages just to get a hand and it lifts it over Lacazette's uh, head. Uh, and then a few minutes later, he obviously pairs that header over the bar. But other yeah, than that... Yeah, I think that, it was the 40th minute, wasn't it? Mm. When Lacazette should have put it, he should put have buried that one that. away. I mean, he scores that you know, going into half time at one all, it's a different game, I think. But it was another game this season, that first half at least, where you thought we're absolutely in this. Yeah, Arsenal were there for the taking, weren't they? You, you could see that. You, know, you, that. you could see they had a threat, but every time mm. we got in their final third, you thought, we can hurt them here, just go for it. But the point is here, it's like, like it's not, when you say Arsenal are there for the taking, a lot of it isn't that where, oh, it's Arsenal playing bad. You know, they're missing players. We should, we could, we can take them here. It's more how potent we've become. Yeah. 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 And you're thinking we can beat these just because of who we are as opposed to what they're doing. And this is why it's so uncomfortable now as a Villa fan. You don't want, you don't want to commit in game to that statement. (laughs) You find yourself (laughs) sitting there in isolation going, is everyone else seeing this? This yeah. can't Do, possibly be right. Does anybody else think we can run these through? Uh, <laughs> it's I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and and that's how it panned out because I think I mean Arsenal must have had a bit of a, a bollocking and they made they made a change at half time. Didn't really look. I mean they, they rolled on a very expensive striker as well, young striker. Yeah, can't say I was particularly impressed with him at all. Yeah, um, it, almost like it didn't matter who they're yeah. bringing on. Uh, as I said, it was more all about <laughs> what we can do now. Like bring on fucking bring Henri out of retirement. We'll, you know, we'll still destroy it and Burkamp as well. Throw him on as well. <laughs> yeah, bring on Petit, Mister Small. Bring, bring back, bring back Gunasaurus. <coughs> Just don't bring back Vieira. Don't bring back him. No. no, no, don't bring any leaders back. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the players they still don't know what they've got. I think they're starting to think uh, they might have something here. But, you know, when you're in that position against Arsenal, you're 1-0 up, it's looking all right. You've played them twice recently, as I mentioned, beaten them. And you've also tonked Liverpool 7-2. You're starting to think, we'll beat these. Don't you think we've done subtle things? And it showed as the game went on, I thought, that we had glaring deficiencies in our squad last season, you know, compounded by some injuries and some tactical issues. But we've massively improved the goalkeeper the, the the right back the improvement at right back is like night and day um and Douglas Luiz is becoming <laughs> but Barkley the thing about Barkley is that I, I think if you some if you overlook the fact that he's he's not going to track back deep I think you've got a player who's technically has the potential to be as good as Grealish but offers us he's almost playing as an additional striker at times well some some would say he's uh, he's better than Grealish in terms of what he's done in the game well, already certain things he is I, I would agree with that, um, but I think that with them together, they are potent. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's not it's not mm. who's the best. Blah blah blah. It's mm. like Grealish suddenly becomes more of a player yeah. because he's got somebody to scheme with, and he, you can see he's almost like playing with a smile on his face. He's enjoying playing with mm. Barkley, mm. And, and vice versa. And this is the thing. There's so much more dimension. What we can potentially do, and you know, we can. We got two of the best players in England in our midfield. And we can terrorise anybody. I mean, uh, Ollie Watkins said it after the game. He said we can beat anybody now. Well, that's a great. I mean, that's a great mental place to be in, and and I think it. it, it we're going to win the league. <laughs> we're going to win the league. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a ridiculous thing, but you see it. It 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 
it bleeds into other players that you look at a player like Trezeguet, who is vastly improved, but I think having better players around you to do some of the legwork and, and be just, you know, not put you under so much pressure allows you to focus on doing on the things that are, you know, that you're good at. Um, I, I am intrigued to see what happens. I mean, we, we spoke, I think before off air about, you know, well, what, where would we be had, had we not lost to Leeds and, and Southampton, even if we'd have just drawn those games? Um, and you look into games like the Arsenal game and you say, do you know what, if we can hold this, I mean, injuries could be our undoing, don't get me wrong, but if we could hold this core group of players together and potentially add to it in January, I think this could be a very interesting season. Yeah, I mean, just a couple of themes we had in Match Club after the game when we were talking about it was when you compare what we've done in similar games last season to what we've done here. I mean, for example, we we had a great one of our best performances for a long time was against uh, Liverpool at Villa Park and then where we got robbed in the last minutes. But we kind of saw that coming. We, I mean, all our effort and endeavour, we did it without Grealish. And we, if all we needed to do was put a set, and we had a good chance, put our second goal away and we could have got something from that game. Likewise against Arsenal, in in the uh, the same fixture last season when we were one nil up at half time against ten men we didn't take our chances we should have won that game we you know we got back on top when they equalised we went two one then managed to lose that game against ten men but we had chances now we've upped the uh, the ante in terms of who we've got in our team quality wise and we take those chances and we're stronger defensively so those games where we were let's say game and you know even the first game against Spurs the opener where we were 1-0 up and looking good but you just knew they were going to wind you know wear us down we we can finish the job now and that's the big you know that's the big difference it's not just uh, effort now there's end result well, you, well, you're seeing the belief and the confidence coming through that when Arsenal had their very brief 5 or 10 minute spell of just starting to get up ahead of steam we held our shape, stuck to the plan, kind of weathered it a little bit, although ultimately Martinez didn't have much to do. Um, And then kept, you know, I think we'd already had sort of two or three good chances in the second half and stuck to the plan knowing that we're going to get more chances. And then when it came, finally, you know, Watkins was in the right place at the right time and it's, you know, a really good goal. And then a couple of minutes later, we go and get the third and kill the game with a brilliant, you know, back-to-front counter-attacking goal that's probably the pick of the pick of the batch yeah Arsenal only had two shots on target which was a theme of the end of last season with our improved defensive organisation yeah. teams w- could hardly lay a glove on us in terms don't of forget shots. What, one of those uh, was the one of the assists was provided by John McGinn in the first half the pack pass yeah yeah, uh, you know, it wasn't like they were creating. Yeah, anything. Ironically, most of Arsenal's best moments came from Villa actually just losing their intensity or making silly individual errors. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've we've spoken about Trezeguet before. There, there was a moment in the second half where Trezeguet blocked a shot, and he was he's poleaxed by it laying on the ground. And then you just seen him. And if you've seen the Water Boy, Adam Sandler, he just seemed to to get up and then just charge like an, an American football <laughs> linebacker and just took out yeah. one of the Arsenal players. I mean, he covered about yeah, thirty yards. I did yards. enjoy that. Yeah, it was it was great. And it's just it's it's that attitude. And you see, Trezeguet's really he's at home now. We all know what he's like at the back post. I mean, he's had the he mm. pressured the Arsenal defender for the first goal. He had a shot himself. Um, he's a threat. Yeah. Yeah. He's the Egyptian Anwar Al-Ghazi. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you insult our favourite son. Yes. <laughs> but in terms of like possession, I think Ar- Arsenal had, I think it was 64% at half-time. And you're thinking, that's not what I'm watching here. But they're a team, you see the way they play. You can hold them at arm's length quite easily. Yeah, yeah. 
and that's it, then this is not the old Arsenal in terms of that respect. I mean, they finished up with 59, but the, I think the more telling stat here is if you look at the corners, they had three, we had eight. And, yeah. and you know, we had yeah, six shots metric. on target, six shots on target in the second half. They had two the whole game. Arsenal have got one of those very annoying, um, slightly outdated habits now of a team that wants to play possession football but doesn't really have the personnel to, to carry or create with, with any great quality. Yeah, they lack any kind of dynamism or pace. Well, we're, it's a lot of teams try to copy Barcelona, then Man, you know, the sort of Man City way, but unless you've got... There was a lot of crossing, passing across the back line for Arsenal, particularly in the first half, where you thought, you can do this all night. You know, I was quite happy. If you'd have said to me, take a draw before today, I'd have been quite happy with that. But I think that was where you got a whiff that actually these guys haven't... Is this it? You know, there was a, there was a bit yeah. of that about it. I don't look at Arsenal and... You know, there was a lot made of their win uh, at old, uh, against Manchester United. Against uh, the poor Man U team, let's be honest. Against the Man United, yeah, apart exactly. From, apart not, from not uh, a... away from home, they're one of our fellow 100%ers uh, away from yeah. home. And it was a bit of a surprise looking at looking at Arsenal. I mean, you, you've got to also mention Mings and Konza. I mean, Konza had a couple of great moments uh, in, in that game and uh, Mings was pretty commanding as well, so... I think it was one of their better performances as a partnership. The defensive unit in general, you know, the, the back four and the keeper all have, have generally played well bar, you know, sort of 55, 60 minutes against Southampton and probably half an hour against Leeds. And that's they normally when unit. our midfield's been ripped apart. Yep, absolutely. It's just that's when our, you know, our, our overall shape has been taken apart and you're going to get games where that happens. I don't think anybody's naive enough to think that it won't happen again, but... We are definitely improving and we pack a punch. And from a neutral's point of view, we're great to watch because we are entertaining. Yeah. Phrases you never thought you'd hear uttered on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) How many years? Well, you got Ian Ian Wright was on Match of the Day saying Villa Villa looked like John Travolta walking down the street in Saturday Night Fever. There's There's a strut to Villa, isn't there, at the moment? As long as it's not John Travolta walking into Scientology headquarters, that's fine. <laughs> we, we used to look like uh, John Travolta in recent years. I actually interviewed John Travolta once, and uh, first of all, you, you're amazed at the you'd heard about this hair plugging thing, which uh, <laughs> you know people with a lot of money would have hair plugs put in because you know he's John Travolta. He used to be Saturday Night Fever, Grease, etc. He can't possibly go bald, but yes, he did go bald. But he had these hair plugs in, and I remember interviewing him. Most of the time, he's just staring at his forehead, going, "Wow, this is hair plugs, is it?" And it's like so <laughs> obvious. <laughs> but, but the main, but then uh, the funniest thing was uh, when he walked in, he had his uh, assistant behind him, and he goes, "Hey guys, how you doing? Yeah, how you doing?" And I said, "Yeah, all right." And I said, uh, pro- pro- I've probably had a better day than you have by the sound of it. And he's the PR in the background's like a shock of horror on her face because I've uh, somebody tipped me off that his his luggage didn't come. This is in Venice. His luggage didn't come, and, and it quickly became apparent that nobody had told him. When I said, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I've had a better day than you. And he looked, you know, from his big kind of fake smile to like not smiling. Like, and I said, yeah, yeah, I heard about your uh, luggage being lost on the plane. And I think he fl- he flies his own planes because he's uh, got a license to like fly uh, <laughs> Se- you know, Boeing seven four sevens. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's massive, isn't it? The plane he's got. He's looking at me like in bewilderment, trying to laugh it off, and his uh, PR assistant in the background is doing the old across the neck where where you're trying, you know, saying just shut that down, shut that down, don't stop talking, stop talking. Pretty careless not to load your own baggage into your own plane, isn't it? <laughs> 
I think he plays all the parts. <laughs> so he didn't didn't have, didn't have his uh, DJ. But we're not we're no longer that John Travolta. We're the John Travolta of uh, the seventies. Mm, we're Nicolas Cage face off. <laughs> We've just got John Travolta's skin on. Uh, looking. <laughs> let's move on from John Travolta. <laughs> Ollie Watkins. I think. I think we mentioned it uh, against Southampton. It was kind of important that he took that penalty just to give him that... Uh, a little bit of a kickstart. And yeah, just to show that uh, you know, his goal scoring is still, still ticking along. It's, I mean, a sign of a good striker is if, if you get beat, if your main striker scores and he's adding to his tally, at least his confidence is going up and you know he's, he's still game for the next game. So now Ollie Watkins has scored six goals in seven games for Villa in the Premier League this season. Only Dean Saunders... Seven and Dion Dublin, who scored nine. I think he should have scored about twenty goals in the first seven appearances. Uh, he should have had a ha- how many hat tricks did he? He should have had three hat tricks on the bounce, shouldn't yeah. he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, those two players have they're the only players who have netted more in. Uh, well, Dean Saunders is the same, but the first seven appearances for Villa in the Premier League. Meanwhile, Jack Grealish is now getting the proper stats. None of this chances created for a team that just escape relegation where you go well you know watch Villa all every game I don't remember all these chances but now they're top tier stats I think he's been involved in I think only Harry Kane and Son have been involved in more Premier League goals this season he's bagged four goals and five assists I think Harry Kane's on 15 combination of goals and assists and Son's on 10 so that is headline stats and of course you know when you've got stats like that that means Villa are doing well as well it's not these second tier stats that don't actually mean anything to your team's position it, they're making a difference and putting Villa where they are in terms of uh, picking up three points I mean he was he was he was very good in the first half second half it was probably as good a 45 minutes you'd have you'd have seen from him this season yeah. he was all the stuff that the Villa fans have seen that he can do, especially when you know his ball carrying ability, he just drove us up the pitch. You saw that for you know the goals, he, the, the dynamism he gave us, and a little bit of defensive work as well. A little bit of trickery. He, he had all the you know all the sort of the the, the, the you know the, the the things in his arsenal all went for him. I think the only thing he lacked was probably the goal, which you know. But he, everything we did that was good went through him and Barkley, and then they bounced yeah. off McGinn really well. Kind of making it. Look so easy and also just terrifying Arsenal at the same time. Well, like he's exactly the, yeah, he's exactly the player Arsenal needed. Yeah, there's there you go, Arteta. You know what to do in January <laughs> if you could afford him. <laughs> <laughs> What's what stood out for me a bit really was the the pace that he has whenever he's carrying the ball. I mean, yeah. he he ran Bellerin ragged, and Bellerin's one of the quickest fullbacks in the league. I mean, he just. I mean, it wasn't even skill to beat him. It was just he just took the long way around him because he knew he had the beating of him in pace. And, and strength as well. Like mm-hmm. if, if it's 50-50, he shrugs them off, no problem. It's that and that's one thing I'll say, just going back football. to, um, just quickly back to Watkins, was Watkins really led the line well in the first half and he deserved his chances and took them in the second. Because that's yeah. what we'd said in the last few games, sort of Leicester leads, Southampton, that he, it wasn't like he'd been wasting chances. He just hadn't been getting them. Was he earned the right first half? He was putting himself about. He was chasing everything. He he was a real outlet. Really bullied the Arsenal back four. Which, and you, while you give him credit, I would also say Arsenal's back four was soft. But then he earned the right that when he actually got in front of goal, he buried both of his chances superbly. Especially yeah, the third bottom, one's a great goal. Bottom bottom line is he is a proper finisher, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that and that's all I was about to say to wrap up on Watkins was that he's still doing a difficult loan striker role you know yeah it wasn't so long ago. I think you could 
you know, even there's been significant quality added behind him. You know, obviously he's come in and with with some pedigree for goal scoring. I don't think if you dropped a Samata there, you you'd see the same thing. You know, some of the hold up play was very very good as well, which was one th- one thing I wanted to mention. He's got this ability where the ball can stick and he can get a, a, a pass off. Um, yeah, I think keeping fit and very very promising. Yeah. I like. Yeah, we had combinations all over the field, and that's where it's important. You know, we don't have time to literally wax lyrical on every player, but you looked at all the little like pairings of people, like you know, Jack and Target down the left, for example, or McGinn and Louise working to almost interplay in the middle of the park, Jack and Barkley, the, probably the front three or four, all linking off Watkins, the two centre-backs. It's like there were lots of like really strong pairings, little trios, and essentially setting up triangles all over the field that Villa looked... You know, I'd be hard-pressed to say who was my man of the match, to be honest, because although I think Watkins will get the plaudits, as will Jack, I think you go down that team sheet and go, well, they were all, they did their jobs superbly. Yeah. Trio, was that, was that, did that used to be a chocolate bar? That's, du- that's a double-decker, isn't it? <laughs> it may be too young. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was definitely a trio, and there was some catchy uh, theme tune, uh, but uh, this is going way back in my uh, m- memory uh uh, closing snippets, Villa have won each of their first three away league games in in a season for the first time in their history. Oh my I put, God. I put this out on Twitter. I, I, did, I, I had to put apparently because I didn't quite believe it, even though the BBC, well, it's probably why I didn't believe it because it was the BBC, but, uh, <laughs> but apparently it's true. Also, uh, only Chelsea have won more away league games than Aston Villa at the Emirates Stadium. Uh, they've won five times. We've won four, but that's... A bogey uh, team for them. Yeah, considering the basic feeling about Arsenal is they've, they've thumped us so many times in recent years. The fact that we have we have had... Uh, it's a bit like we had a good record at Anfield as well re- in recent times. Yeah, it's one of those ones that kind of slips under the radar a little bit, doesn't yeah. it? You kind of... I mean, even Tony Moon. I was going to say, they're still wondering how how Luna scored a world-class goal (laughs) on their pitch. (laughs) And then turned out to be a nobody. It's like when he scored that, you just saw happy days. We've we've got like a stylish continental We've got the new Maldini. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. But uh, at least he had his moment in the sun. Right, uh, I think it's time now to uh, park our uh, Premier League sixth place. We could have been top. We could have been top. We've got to save. We've got to save it all for the title run. Yeah, actually, it's still within our in our grasp because if we win our games in hand, we do go top because Liverpool uh, lost points against uh, Manchester City. Who's at so the top now? Is it, is it Leicester? Set up? Yeah, we, we know we can get yeah, it. Not those crisp mon- munching bastards. We've already, be- we've already beaten them once. <laughs> right, anything else to add? I think uh, it's nice, actually. I mean, considering uh, all the crap that's been going on in our daily lives, uh, it's nice to, again, yet again, have that mm. two-week break from Villa where it, we go into that international break on a positive. So at least we can feel positive about that thing that normally is ruining our lives uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> at least we've sorted that one out now uh, <laughs> finally squared good. that off you know my, my sort of final the point on of the it. yeah on the arsenal thing will just be quickly that after the two results after you know with leeds and southampton i think there was a little bit of a, there was a chance of maybe the wheels coming off and it's you know to to, to make a statement of do you know what we are here to stay and the way to you know to go to arsenal to win in the manner we've done says to everyone, you know, there might be a bit, a bit of a bump in the road, but we are good enough to keep the ship moving in the right direction. And I think that's a really important thing to do just before an international break. Yeah, as long as we avoid major injuries uh, before 
January, I think we're uh, we'll we'll be okay. David, could you save that clip for our fifteen-game losing run, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, D- Dean Smith does have a tendency to go on long losing runs and then Ooh, redeems when will himself. It be? When will it be? <laughs> <laughs> well, December's always tricky, isn't it? That's After the third lockdown. Uh, anyway, uh, moving Brayton. on. It's <laughs> sorry. Hello, Brayton. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to uh, moving on to our show closer. Underrated or overrated? Right, this week, uh, I'm surprised we uh, haven't analysed the uh, the achievements of this player a bit earlier, actually. Uh, Mr Darius Vassell. Bit of a mercurial talent here because England talisman. And when he was playing for England, Villa fans would stare at the TV screens or if they went to the game, stare at what was Disbelief. happening on the pitch. Going, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I mean, when you look back on Sven, he, most of his career it was all about the money, and he'd managed to con a few uh, and the women, and the women, football, fe- yeah, and the women. A few football federations from England to Mexico were cons uh, by having him as their manager. But one thing he did do, he wasn't a manager that just thought, right, well, I'll pick him because he's on form. You know, he's he's on form, he's on form. He would just pick players because he fancied them for some reason. And Darius Vassell, not literally. <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> like sixteen-year-old Theo Walcott. It's, it's exactly, a strong allegation. Yeah, I, oh, I was trying to oh, get dear. to the Walcott. Oh, dear, I was dear, trying dear. to get to the Walcott, but I kind of put my foot in it there. But you know, Theo Walcott, Vassell. He, he even took Rooney young, didn't? Oh shit! He <laughs> oh, broke him in the to the side here. But he was a bit of a maverick in his selection. But I think, I mean, Theo Walcott was hyped, hyped. He shouldn't really be going to a, a, a major championships when he hasn't actually kicked a ball. Really oh god, he went his... after barely any game time, didn't he? Well, he hadn't played. He hadn't played senior football, had he? No, exactly. So you know, this is Sven being a maverick. But one of the th- you know players that symbolised this maverick attitude was Darius Fussell. I was going to say, why did we buy him? But we didn't buy him. Yeah, he, he came. He, no, he, he came up through the youth system. He was. He went to. Um, John Wilmot school, not that far from mine, actually, in uh, in St. Coalfield. And um, he would have gone, arrived as a, you know, a YTS in 96. Or so so he would have, in theory, been signed through the Little era. Uh, went yeah. pro in 98 with John Gregory and then made his debut in the August of that year, coming off the bench against Middlesbrough, which was just after we'd sold Dwight York that week to Man United. And obviously, I think he notoriously scored his first goals in the UEFA Cup. We played Strom's Godset in the first round of the UEFA Cup. Before we jump on, uh, he had a hell of a record at uh, youth level, didn't he? Yeah, it was 39 goals in a season. I think it was a record. Did Gabby break his record? Because I remember, you know, a, a generation of. Villa strikers always ke- when when they were the homegrown ones always came into the team. Be it Gabby, be it Vassell, as like somebody who's just broken you know the record. And I think that thirty nine was uh, definitely a record breaker at the time. I don't know if it's been yeah. Eclipsed. And I think I remember like Darren Byfield as a young player, he was banging goals in, wasn't he as well? You, you don't tend to see that as much now with you know, young lads coming in who've scored you know those sort of numbers at youth level. Yeah. Anyway, do continue. So we, we, he put himself on the map quite early in his in his Villa career. The first couple of years, he was kind of in and out of the side and generally coming off the bench. But he, he came off the bench in a UEFA Cup game against Strom's Godset. Villa were actually 2-0 down to these yeah. sort of nobodies from Norway and, uh, and actually came back to win in the last 10 minutes. Gary Charles pulled one back and then Vassell scored two in the last minute in front of the whole tender, which is kind of the stuff of you know dreams for a young lad from Birmingham who's 
family are all Villa fans. And then he gradually threw John Gregory you know, earned his place in the side. Obviously, that season, Villa would have had, they brought in Dublin a bit later on to replace York. They had Collymore uh, and others. So Vassell had to kind of wait his turn a little bit till kind of just after the turn of the millennium, really. I mean, we'll get onto it later, but one thing uh, from what you've just said there, one thing Vassell could do was make make a mark on his debut. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, his, his England debut was just... I think all the Villa fans' jaws hit the floor, didn't they? I remember being in a pub just casually, you know, you're talking to people, but you got one eye on the game. Again, it was against Holland. You got one eye on the game, and, and through that eye, you, you see Darius Vassell doing an overhead kick against Holland scoring. I, I just remember saying, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> and, 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 and then after the shot, you're just wondering, where, where the hell did that come from? And, uh, you know, I've never seen that at Villa Park. Well, it was it was known as like a rapid player, wasn't he? He was, he was quick and... But he wasn't. He had a strange demeanour. Well, he was very quiet and started softly spoken guy. He didn't come across as an aggressive guy. And then, because when you say he's quick, he wasn't like Tony Daly, where you get the ball and Tony Daly's bombing, you know, bombing almost in a straight line. Is when he got the ball, he had this real casual dribbling style, which was uh, dumbfounding at, at some stages that it was actually effective. But it was because it was unpredictable, and I think that's what drew Sven to him. Yeah, he was a bit of an unknown entity. Obviously, you know, he, he earned his stripes quite early on in, with England under Sven, didn't he? And he managed to go to the 2002 World Cup in Japan and Korea. Then I think he went That's to the Euros. That's remarkable in itself when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it is. When you, when you look at the, the forward options England had at this this point with, you know, Owen, etc. In his early early games, he was scoring every game, wasn't he? I mm. think he... Because he, you know, he finished with about six in twenty-two, but he scored most of those six in in the first six first games. couple, of, <laughs> first couple of years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he famously scored in the game at Stadium Alight, which we mentioned a couple of shows back with Alpi. He scored the goal, secured that two-nil victory for England, which was quite a, you know, an important game at the time. He was one of those strikers who, who you you always thought that Vassan was playing within himself, didn't you? That yeah, <laughs> like you say, you'd be sat in the pub, he'd do an overhead kick for England, and everyone would go, "Wow, it's a you know that 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 Villa player," and you'd see the stuff in the media, and you'd think that's not the player I completely recognise who turns out for Villa every week. But also, he did always seem to carry a threat. He seemed like yeah. quite an intelligent footballer. But would it be unfair to say he was six or seven out of ten at best? No, it's interesting you say that because that's what you f- that's what you felt. But if he came on as a sub, or mm. you know, if he was still on and you know the game was still alive, or you needed something, that unpredictability that I mentioned—it's not something you could rely on necessarily. I remember when he broke through because he, he's the same age as Michael Owen. I mean, Michael Owen had his breakthrough in in '97 for Liverpool, and when I seen Vassell score those goals against Stromskotter, so that was just like. We found our Megalone. This is this is it. Here he is, <laughs> and you know he, he he was a good player. I mean, obviously he didn't hit the heights of own, but when he was pl- when he was playing for Villa he, and England, he he was that sort of something different that we, we've missed for ages. I mean, it's, it's it's what we missed maybe last season, Villa as well. Just something different that makes making the opposition think, and he certainly did that when he came on with pace. Yeah. I always thought it was a foil for another play. You know, he always used to play with Dion Dublin. Of course, you had the, the the big man, little man combination. You know, the tall guy who could dominate in the air. And then he'd run in behind, and and then he, and then he would have played with um, Pablo Angel, didn't he? The, the first year that O'Leary arrived, and he was a really good foil for Angel that year. Although he didn't score the goals that Angel did, Vassell was one of those guys who had to do a lot of the kind of the hard yards and running in behind, and he'd always tended to drift out wide. 
which meant he didn't have that kind of fox in the box type attitude towards being a striker. I think his best season was the one before, well, the season uh, that the World Cup was in, where he scored 12 yeah. goals in 36 games. That was the thing. He, he, he was somebody who, who could score, but he wasn't like your, like the say, Ollie Watkins is today, where he's your main man in terms of scoring and you expect... Ollie Watkins to uh, let's say beat twelve goals, and that that was the thing about. So when I was, you know, I knew that he'd scored almost forty goals in one season in youth team, but he didn't look like that kind of player. He didn't look like that fox in the box predatory guy because, as you said, he did drift out wide, and he was a player that you know would dribble, and he wasn't like appearing on the edge of the six yard box or whatever to tap something in. But he after that, after he scored twelve goals, I mean, he was still he, he was still playing mid thirties in terms of appearances but he was getting I think some of those it's a mixture of uh, substitute appearances but he failed to break double figures in the next two seasons and that was so typical of of Villa at the time wasn't it that we were on the on the decline with no money under O'Leary you know and he he, he ends with a, his Villa career with a less than one in four strike rate which about sums him up really he'd score a goal you think yeah he's okay and then you go you'd have two or three, even four games after that where nothing would happen. But it was really his England career that got him the move to Manchester City, really. It's a strange move that was, don't don't you think? Because this was not when Man City were any good. Another one where O'Leary sort of hung a player out to dry. You know, O'Leary thought he'd gone stale at Villa and he'd been at Villa too long and he just didn't fancy him anymore. Yeah, he scored three goals in his first five appearances for England. That was a strange move because to us, he was like a spent force. And in context of his England career, he, he was kind of winding up. Uh, I think he's the last time he scored for England, I think he, he scored two goals against Iceland. That was June 2004. And his last season at Villa was 2004-2005 season. So he'd He'd probably you know shot his load in terms of being an England player. Well, he missed the penalty, didn't he? He missed the that one in the shootout in the quarterfinal against Portugal. And I'd imagine that must have damaged his his confidence. And then the following season, as, as Dan mentioned, you know that O'Leary era. After you know O'Leary had that one good first year, but then after that, it got sour pretty quickly. And that was such a forgettable era for Villa when you no know, Doug Ellis was trying to sell the club. There was no money coming in. Yeah. You know, and and, uh, and uh, you know, Vassell's form sort of went the way of the club, the club's fortunes on and off the field. Really, I mean, Villa players always used to miss penalties on international duty in that in that period of time. I think Melberg missed one. I think I mentioned it before. Recent podcast against, uh, I think it was Holland in the in the same tournament there. But yeah, course, it, Al, you know, Al when play he... interfered with one, <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. But yeah, no, for Manchester City, you know, he, he failed to get double figures again. I mean, the first season uh, he arrived, though, he scored eight goals in, in the Premier League in 36 games or 36 appearances. An interesting, actually, bit of trivia on him I, I did see was that in, in the 46 games he scored across his Premier League career, in the games when he scored, he never actually lost. Yeah. So he was quite a good omen. But if Vassell scores, you aren't losing. It's funny you should mention that because he was... He was a man of of good omens, though, wasn't he? And, and uh, when I was reading about him, he, you know, later in his career after he left Man City, he moved to Turkey, didn't he, to play for Ankara yeah. Guku? I don't know if that's yeah. at the, yeah. the Ankara yeah. base side anyway. And he in his, he in was his, greeted like a legend. Wasn't thousands that? of, I think, three thousand people turn up to to, to greet him. <laughs> and one unfortunate animal. There's definitely one unfortunate animal. Um, 
about <laughs> I mean, he recounts basically a home game later on in the season where it's already going tits up and he's realised there's there's all manner of things that are wrong wrong at this football club. But they travelled to the ground on the team coach and stopped outside the stadium uh, for, for a goat to be sacrificed before the game for the team. Just the staff and players were stood around and, and he recounts how it, I felt like the goat looked at me just before... <laughs> it was a, it was that point in time when I realised that I was most definitely an animal lover. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, th- thereafter, before playing the game, most of the players smeared the blood of the of the goat on their boots and head for good luck. So he didn't take part in it. <laughs> and, then, and then he just says that they had no idea my family back home in Jamaica would find this quite normal too. I changed my iPod album from Tupac to Bob Marley and got myself ready. <laughs> Everyone else is smeared in blood and he's listening to Bob Marley. Happy days. It was a good move. Yeah, I, ne- I never read his biography, but no one has. He had a bl- <laughs> but he had a blog where he would keep a. Uh, like a diary on his time mm. in Turkey. I, re- I remember it being quite funny, some of it. But uh, you'll have to catch me on a day where I've actually Googled it and reread it because I can't remember uh, <laughs> anything at this present time. Uh, anyway, let's. Uh, wh- wh- sorry, where is he now? What happened? Well, he ended up going. Um, he's been working in youth football recently. He's at the Wolves Academy. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Currently. And he, was, he also featured in Harry's Heroes, where you know, all the ex England players get together and play for uh, for Harry. That was it, The Road to Persia. That was his uh, biography. The name of his daughter. That's nice. He, his biography was all about how he got to his daughter. Oh, nice. he's, a deep, he's a deep thinker. Tell me more, Phil Shaw. He's, there's something that's missing here that I, that's nagging me. Is he a deep thinker or is he not? No, I'm just thinking if, if, if he had such concern for that poor goat, then you know, he, he had empathy for the animal. But I, I, I see, I, I'll kick it off and I'm going to say he was overrated. He, he obviously didn't have the killer instinct if he cared so much for that goat. Phil, I must jump in. I must jump in because later on in the same passage when, when he's reflecting on, on what he most enjoyed. About, so having having just been, I don't know what the word would be, so so off put by the demise of the goat, he then reflects on this, <laughs> his great experiences in the country. I quote, like mouthwatering kebabs. <laughs> not Goat such a deep kebabs. thinker the prosecution rests <laughs> no but you could, you, could, you could just imagine like Zlatan or something he'd be like fuck the goat he wouldn't care yeah, Zlatan would say who's the real goat <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's get let's cut to the chase underrated or overrated overrated oh I'm agreeing o- overrated as well yeah I think it was um he ne- maybe never fulfilled his potential, so a bit overrated, yeah. Yeah, I think ultimately, from a Villa point of view, he ultimately came up short. I think exceeded all kinds of expectations in terms of being an international player because he scored an overhead kick at the Johan Cruyff uh, Arena, which uh, not many players have done. If you looked at his England career, you'd say underrated, but just because who who knew that would happen? He used to be your neighbour, didn't he? He used to live just down the road. Yeah, I used to see him most mornings driving up the road in his Porsche. Did he ever give you a lift to school or wherever, whatever, whatever you were doing? No, at the he didn't time? actually, cheeky fucker. <laughs> all right anyway i think i'll go i'll go overrated ultimately because we're looking at this through a villa villa context so overrated uh for me as well right thank you very much for listening and joining us uh, for the show as we uh, march on into an international uh, break feels good i think we are we're we're uh, one of the contenders this season in terms of all kinds of things like 
We're in the mix. Are we one Top of the big six Europe. yet? Are we big six now? <laughs> Super Sunday, big six. Are we going to Europe as well, Super League? We are part of the big six. <gasps> yeah, fucking we're going. We founded everything else, didn't we? We founded the Football League, founded the Premier League. We might as well do the European one and go the whole hog. And we've just heard, I mean, whatever's happening lockdown-wise, no fans in the ground. If we can bag a Europa League qualifying match against... Who's the team dishing out those tickets? Linfield. Linfield, yeah. If we can bag a Europa League game against Linfield, there's a good chance we've got a contact here where we can get uh, some free tickets. But that probably our best bet watching Villa in a stadium is for, is for Villa to qualify for the Europa League at least and then get a draw against an Irish team or uh, some of a, a team in Europe that actually is allowing Belarus or somewhere there where they're allowing fans to filter in. I was going to say another country where there's no legal system. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway right then uh, thank you very much again for joining us and uh, please do subscribe to the show we'll probably churn out a few extras uh, during the uh, international break and as we continue our march into European qualification fingers crossed it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye 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 Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.